the man who created Dan. An audio story of how Dan Snyder was even able to buy the Washington Redskins. The hatred for Dan Snyder has always baffled me. Yes, the team has overall sucked since he made the purchase. Yes, the stadium is falling apart. But important to mention, Dan Snyder didn't build that stadium. Dan Snyder's actually said he wished the Redskins never left D.C. Dan Snyder tried to bring the success of Steve Spurrier in college to the NFL. Dan Snyder was able to lure Joe Gibbs out of retirement and try to replicate all the success he had had formerly with the team. Dan Snyder spent a lot of money to get free agents to Washington. I'm not defending Dan Snyder. A lot of the media reports, especially lately, of the workplace conduct and everything else going on there, totally unacceptable. But at some point you have to ask yourself, how did Dan Snyder ever get in this position? How is it even possible a college dropout turned billionaire ever in the position to buy the Washington Redskins? Historically, it's one of the most unbelievable transactions in sports history. And it was all Jack Kent Cook. He was the man who created Dan. Jack Kent Cook was just one of those guys. He started selling encyclopedias at 14 years old. And not long after that, he trades in running around door to door to become a runner on the floor of the Toronto Stock Exchange. Well, in 1936, Jack Kent Cook meets Roy Thompson. Roy Thompson owned a bunch of radio stations in Canada. He likes Cook, so he hires him to run his radio stations. Well, he likes him so much, they actually become partners in 1941. They started buying radio stations and newspapers together all across Canada. Over the next decade, they go on to buy magazines and more radio stations. Eventually, Jack Kent Cook parts ways, keeps the media assets, and decides he wants to get into sports. It's his first sports venture, so he decides to go minor league, and he buys the Toronto Maple Leafs. But the thing that Cook understand from his background in the entertainment business was that this couldn't be just sports. No, Jack Kent Cook, he knew he had to get celebrities in town, wild promotions. This had to be an all-around entertaining experience. As a matter of fact, not long after he bought the team, he actually distributes a book to all the rest of the owners in the league and said, look, this is how you do it. This is how we'll become successful overall as a league. Yeah, Cook had a lot of successes, but he also had a bunch of failures. He tried really hard to get Major League Baseball to get into Toronto. That didn't work. He made multiple offers in multiple teams. Finally, he founded the Continental League. This was basically another professional baseball league. They never played a game and the league disbanded. You could say that while Cook had a bunch of successes early on in his sports career, it wasn't as successful as his media ventures. During all this time, Cook is still a Canadian citizen, but he realizes he wants to start doing business in the United States. He's got media properties and he wants to sell them. So Jack Kent Cook actually gets a waiver to become a citizen from both houses of Congress and the president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. This process usually takes five years. Right after that happens, he sells CKEY. He takes that cash, and in 1961, he dumps it into another franchise. Cook becomes 25% owner of the Washington Redskins. The team's majority owner, who was George Preston Marshall, had a stroke and couldn't run the team. So there's some of the professional highlights leading up to Cook getting involved with the Redskins. Even at that point, though, just a minority owner. His personal life, you could say, was really just as interesting. Jack Kent Cook was married five different times. Two of the marriages were to the same woman, 
That was Marlene Chalmers. Cook's first wife, Barbara Jean Carnegie, lasted with Jack Ken Cook for 45 years. That was his longest marriage. They married in 1934 and divorced in 1979. That divorce was a part of settlement history. At the time, it was the largest divorce settlement in history, $42 million. And the judge of that history-setting settlement, that was a guy named Joseph Wapner. Judge Joe Wapner would go on to become ridiculously famous. In a sense, he was the first celebrity judge on the show The People's Court. So a year later, and already an owner of the Washington Redskins, Cook marries Gene Williams. They don't even last a year, and Cook gets out of it for just a million dollars. Nothing compared to the first settlement. His third marriage happens years later in 1987 to Suzanne Martin. She had just dropped out of college, was 31 years old, and almost 44 years younger than him. 73 days later, the marriage was over. Martin wanted $15 million out of the divorce. Instead, she wound up with $75,000, a Jaguar, and an apartment in the Watergate Hotel complex. Cook goes on to marry his fourth wife, Marlene Chalmers. She was wild. She'd already been arrested for cocaine trafficking, and in the early 90s, made headlines for driving drunk in Georgetown while some guy was holding onto the hood of the car and pounding on the windshield. Cook doesn't like the story and divorces her. Two years later, they remarry. They'd stay married until Jack Kent Cook died. Just before he died, Jack Kent Cook cut Marlene Chalmers out of his will. She figures, hey, we've been married twice. I'm going to get something. According to a lot of online blogs and Wikipedia, she apparently gets somewhere around $20 million in a settlement. This was about a year after Cook died. So that leaves Cook's kids, the Foundation, and the Redskins. Jack Kent Cook had three kids, two sons and a daughter. By that point, John Kent Cook had already become the president of the Washington Redskins. He was really running the day-to-day -day business operations. By the time of his death, Jack Kent Cook became a superstar celebrity owner. Remember, he bought into the team in 1961, became a majority owner in 74, and the sole owner of the Washington Redskins in 1985. And while he was owner of the Redskins, the team won three Super Bowls, all with head coach Joe Gibbs. 1982, 1987, 1991. Not only that, in 1965, Cook purchased the LA Lakers for $5 million. Cook moved the Lakers from the LA Sports Arena to the Forum, and again, more success under Cook's leadership. Seven NBA Finals, and they won the 1972 NBA Finals. So at this point, Jack Kent Cook has had success in minor league baseball, the NFL, the NBA, and he wasn't done. Look, Cook was Canadian. He loved hockey. So Cook gets an NHL expansion team in LA and calls them the Kings. They played their first game in 1967, and while that was happening, Cook was already building a new venue for the team to play at. It turns out the Kings were his least successful professional sports venture. But that said, he was the owner, and he also owned the Lakers and the Forum, nicknamed the Fabulous Forum, where both teams played. And in 1979, he sold them all to Jerry Buss for $67.5 million. Cook had a couple of other smaller sports ventures. The LA Wolves, part of the United Soccer Association. He also loved horses and invested in thoroughbred horse racing. But none of this was comparable to what was brewing in DC and the Washington Redskins. The one thing Jack Kent Cook never lost sight of, 
is that the experience has to be big. The Redskins played at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. An iconic building, but it was getting old and it was small. So Jack Kent Cook wanted to set the tone. He leaves D.C., goes to neighboring Maryland, and completes a stadium deal near Landover, Maryland. He wants to build a stadium that can seat between 80 and 90,000 people. The plot of land that he bought, he renamed it Rao John, Maryland. Remember, his two sons were named Ralph and John. So he combined the names. He's building stadiums and making up his own names for cities. Right after he died, they named the stadium Jack Kent Cook Stadium. Then, of course, corporate sponsorships took over and the name was changed to FedEx Field. That was in 1999. Also, the name Rao John for the piece of land it was on never stuck and wasn't used anymore after that either. So you've got the Redskins playing in a new city, playing in a new stadium. The stadium itself has a new name, but the Redskins don't have an owner. In his will, Jack Kent Cook left the team and the stadium that he owned to his foundation. The instructions were to sell it. Usually, when you just look at NFL history or really any sports league history, these things are given to the family. Sports franchises and even stadiums are just willed. It's not like you hear about the owner of a team died and all of a sudden the team is up for sale. That just doesn't happen. So there's all these federal regulations that dictate how long a foundation can hold on to a business. Basically, the Jack Kent Cook Foundation had to get a buyer for the business, the team and the stadium. Well, the foundation is gonna do what's right for the foundation. They're gonna sell to the highest bidder. It'd be totally natural to assume that John Kent Cook, his son and president of the Redskins, had the money or the investors to buy. Well, he was only given $15 million in the will of Jack Kent Cook. Jack Kent Cook gave most of his money away to charity. Dan Kelly wrote an article for NFLDraftDiamonds.com, and he said this, if you want to blame anyone for what has happened over the past 22 years, blame Cook. He's the one who made the sale of the Redskins even possible. And he's right. By simply just giving the stadium and the team to his son, it's likely that the Redskins, now commanders, are still in the Cook family. And it's not like his death is something that could have totally blindsided the family, the family's lawyers, or the foundation. Cook was 84 and he died of heart disease. So even though the foundation gets it, John Kent Cook, as current president of the Redskins, is still the odds-on favorite to get the team. Paul Tagliabue, who was the NFL commissioner at the time, even issued an official statement saying he fully supported the Cook family retaining the ownership of the Redskins. John Ken Cook responds and says that he absolutely intends to retain control of the team. So the big question is, why? Why give your football team to a foundation? You have a son who's been president of the team, likable guy, a team with a winning tradition, brand new facilities. What's the point? Warner Hessler wrote a great article in 1998 at dailypress.com. He asked a couple of really good questions. The first one, why would he give John Kent Cook, his son and president of the Redskins for 17 years, $10 million, but the remaining $825 million in his estate to a charitable foundation? He goes on to ask, why didn't one of his advisors tell him that John would have to pay the foundation a fair market value if he wanted to keep the Redskins. Now that's where the speculation runs wild. Is this just Jack Kent Cook wanting his son to go out and just work for it, find the money, find the investors? Or 
Did he want to keep a lot of his fortune out of the hands of the IRS? He makes a pretty good connection, talking about how Cook grew up poor in the Great Depression. He was a door-to-door salesman in Canada, but it all ends with $800 million in his pocket. Meanwhile, even though John Ken Cook says he wants the team, the NFL says they want John Ken Cook to get the team. The foundation says, show me the money. They've made it clear, although it'd be great for John Ken Cook to get the team, it's the highest bidder who's going to win this race. Anytime something goes for sale, somebody's got to make the first offer. Usually the first person in a negotiation to throw a number is the loser. And that's exactly how this played out for Andrew Penson. This was a real estate developer from New York City. He made a ton of money by buying and selling houses. He was a flipper. Well, he offered $450 million for the team. The foundation basically ignores the offer. They laugh it off, not even considered. And remember what I said about those federal rules. It doesn't allow the foundation to own the business forever, but it does give them seven years to find a buyer. It was reported that John Ken Cook thought he needed between 500 and $700 million for the foundation to sell him the team. Yep, the same team that his father owned for decades and the same team that he's already the president of. So while John Ken Cook is busy raising money, there's another player in the background. Somebody that when they immediately heard that this team was going into a foundation and knowing that the foundation would sell to whoever brought the highest bid, this person immediately and furiously got to work. No celebrity factor, no name recognition from sports ventures, nothing. I can tell you that most people in the NFL and every single diehard fan had never heard of Dan Snyder. Not one person. You know, and looking back at it, you'd say the sale of the Redskins from Jack Kent Cook's estate to Dan Snyder was almost meant to be, maybe even destiny. Snyder started his first business when he was 17 years old. He sold bus trip packages to the Washington Capitals game. It didn't work, but Snyder didn't care. Before he was 20, he dropped out of the University of Maryland. He was running a business leasing jets to fly college students to spring break. He made over a million dollars ran the business out of his parents' bedroom with a couple of buddies. In 1989, this is 10 years before the foundation would decide who was the new owner of the Washington Redskins, Snyder had started another business with his sister. His dad lent him a little bit of money. His sister maxed out all the credit cards. And what they did is they made wallboards in doctors' offices. They would literally charge companies to advertise their information, pharmaceutical companies, health companies, inside doctors' offices. They'd eventually move to colleges. They named the company, of course, Snyder Communications. What Dan and his sister created was a marketing boom. In 96, Snyder became the youngest ever CEO of a listed company on the New York Stock Exchange. He was 32. Snyder had all kinds of investors throwing him money. And he was acquiring other companies, big marketing companies. So in 98, he had over 12,000 employees and over a billion dollars in annual revenue. And also in 1998, is when Dan Snyder got interested in another venture, trying to become the owner of the Washington Redskins. Now, Snyder's professional life just as successful as Jack Kent Cook, but his personal life a lot more toned down. He got married to a model in 94, and they have three kids. So while there were always rumors of other sports venture companies putting a bid in, it came down to John Kent Cook and Dan Snyder. As I mentioned, Dan Snyder grew up in Maryland. He grew up a die-hard Washington Redskins fan. Both parties had momentum, 
But Snyder had modern momentum. He was sitting on a billion dollar and growing marketing company. He had multiple entrepreneurs across multiple industries throwing money at him. John Kent Cook, he had history, he had nostalgia. There was a level of respect. He was a lot more toned down than his dad. He wasn't flashy. And in fairness, he knew how to run a football team. So like in every negotiation, it came a point where both sides had to make their offer. The Baltimore Sun offered pretty good perspective before the ownership decision went down. The previous record price of $530 million paid by Al Lerner for the Cleveland Browns was gonna be shattered. They claim it's simply because the Redskins were worth more. The Redskins have 208 luxury boxes and 15,000 club seats. That's double the number in most stadiums. The Redskins were also already making $140 million a year. They also mentioned that Peter Angelos, the Orioles owner, withdrew a bid at $625 million. They claim that Angelos thought even that was too much, but he was willing to pay it. So the clues start to lead everybody in a direction of how close to a billion dollars does this go? And could John Kent Cook or even Dan Snyder get that kind of money? Well, the decision came in late April, 1999. And we only found out because John Kent Cook announced that he withdrew his offer on April 22nd. This is now two years after his dad died. Cook said he made an offer to the foundation for $680 million. Now he was confident he'd get it at that, but when they immediately didn't take it, he upped his offer by $40 million to $720 million. After still no action from the foundation, this was Cook's statement. The executors failed to act on my offer and today I have withdrawn it. I refuse to be used merely to increase the bids of others since it is well known that I've always wanted to keep the Redskins within my family. Cook also said, obviously taking a shot at the foundation, and you have to wonder if he felt betrayed and backstabbed. He said his offer reflected today's fair market value of the Redskins. Of course, that's what the foundation said it needed to sell the team. And right after Cook makes a statement, the sports world realizes why the foundation didn't sell to John Kent Cook. Maybe they really wanted to give time to John Kent Cook to beat the top bid, which sat at $800 million from Dan Snyder. Look, you win three Super Bowls in a decade, people are gonna take notice. And they did. And money always follows attention. And so the college dropout, Dan Snyder, buys the high school dropout, Jack Kent Cook's team, for $800 million. Look, I'm biased, jaded, growing up a Redskins fan. It's been painful. But there was always going to be Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder was always gonna jump in the sports business. He was always going to have ownership of something big. But it didn't have to be the Redskins. I and I think most of the other fans would have really just been okay with the mild-mannered John Kent Cook, with all of his experience, his local DC connections, running the team, operating the team, having great people who inspired great culture, Bobby Bether, Joe Gibbs, that all would have been great. My friend and former agent, Norm Schrutt, back in the day, he was running WMAL radio for ABC. Well, Norm was in charge of negotiating the radio rights to run the Redskins on the radio. And Norm would always tell me, he knew I was a big Redskins fan, about the negotiations, the meetings with Jack Kent Cook. And he said this guy was sharp like an assassin. 
but really likable, really fun, and at the end of the day, really fair. Kind of ironic, because that's exactly how I would really describe Norm Shrutt. God rest his soul. He said just a meeting with Jack Kent Cooke was an experience in itself. Another media buddy of mine told me this story about Jack Kent Cooke, and this is when the Redskins name debate really started to get ground. And he said that Jack Kent Cooke was sitting in a room and he was asked about it, and he said something to the effect, I'm ad-libbing a bit here, he said, you know, words are all about how you use them and the intentions. And he said, look at the word mother. You say, I love you, mother. And that means one thing. Or some guy turns to you and says, hey, your mother. And he said, that means something totally different. And that was Jack Kent Cook. I go back to the dailypress.com article by Warner Hessler. He ends his piece by saying this, Jack Kent Cook stiffed the IRS but he may have stiffed his son in the process. I totally get what Warner's saying here, but trust me, there were a lot more people that got stiffed. Jack Kent Cook, he was the man that created Dan. Dan.